Well, good morning, Genesis. My name is Michael. I serve as uh, one of the pastors uh, here. Welcome to our uh, very first Sunday worship gathering, not just of 2020, but welcome to our very first worship gathering on Sunday in a brand new decade. Also, welcome to day number five of our series and season of prayer that we're in of 21 days of prayer. Uh, now, over the past uh, three, four years, uh, we have made the decision to say, hey, we're going to set aside the very first 21 days of uh, January for a very intentional and a very focused time, very focused season of prayer. And so we're on day number five. And a question that I have been asking myself uh, over these past probably few weeks leading up to this is this question of why does it take 21 days of prayer to kickstart my life of prayer? Like, I'm really thankful for the season of prayer that we're in, but one of the things that I guess I've just been very convicted about is why does it take this season and this series, 21 days of prayer, to kickstart my life of prayer? The question of why do I spend more time in the month of January praying than I often do in any other month in the year? Now, there might be, I guess, many ways to answer that question for myself, but something new that God has been teaching me in this season, uh, something that God has been connecting the dots for me in ways that I just have not seen before, uh, is this, what you seek first above all else will determine your life of prayer. What you seek first above all else will be the very thing that determines what your life of prayer actually looks like. Maybe another way to think about it is this. There's this deep connection between the kingdom that we seek first and, above all else, and our desire to be with God in prayer. If I am to look at the life of Jesus, there's two things in particular that stand out. Number one, Jesus had a life of prayer that I would say flourished. And then the second thing that I would say about Jesus is the one thing that Jesus talked about more than anything, and the one thing that Jesus pursued more than anything is the kingdom of God. So it becomes really hard to ignore in the Gospels the connection between the kingdom of God and prayer. Again, maybe another way to say that is kingdom-minded people, they never stop praying. Kingdom-minded people, they never stop praying praying. Uh, I mentioned this last Sunday, but the one thing that we're inviting everyone to pray about during this 21 days of prayer, the one thing that we're inviting you to go to God with is this question, how shall I invest in the kingdom of God this decade? God, what would it look like for me to invest in your kingdom above anything else this decade? Now, this question that we're asking, it's a great question, it's a good question to ask God, but it's a question that presupposes that you and I have all made the decision to pursue first above all things the kingdom of God. And so, I guess it would make sense to just ask, have you actually made that decision? Have you made the decision for you and for your life to say, hey, above anything else, above everything else, the first thing that I am going to seek with my life? In every moment of every day, no matter where I am, no matter who I'm with, what I am seeking first above all else is the kingdom of God. See, it's a hard decision to make because every day you and I are going to be tempted to give 
who we are, give ourselves to a very, very different kingdom. Again, if you were to look at the life of Jesus, prior to Jesus beginning his public ministry, where he would spend a lot of time teaching and talking about the kingdom of God, modeling for us what the kingdom of God is like, he was tempted. And anyone want to take a guess as to what Jesus was tempted with? He was tempted with pursuing the kingdom of man. If you were to read in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 4, where it talks about the temptation of Jesus, it says this, next, the devil took him to uh, the peak of a very high mountain, and he showed him, him being Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Jesus I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. What is put before Jesus and what is put before us every day is the same temptation to pursue the kingdom of man and to pursue all of the glory we think that it brings, to pursue making a name for ourselves, to pursue every day any applause or accolades that people might choose to give us, to pursue wealth and what we think wealth will do for us, to pursue things like comfort and pleasure, to pursue leaving a legacy that is ultimately first and foremost about us, that people would remember us, our name, and our story. It's almost as if the enemy knew that if he could get Jesus to give himself to the wrong kingdom, his entire life would be completely derailed. But what I love about Jesus is his response to the enemy when this temptation came. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Like Jesus, there's going to have to come a point where you and I simply make the decision and declaration to say, get out of here. You want me to make a name for myself so people will know me? Get out of here. You want me to chase and pursue the applause and the accolades about me? Get out of here. You want me to pursue wealth and what I think it might give me? Get out of here. Comfort, pleasure, Get out of here with that. You want me to pursue a legacy that's all about me and my name and my story? Get out of here. Like Jesus, every day we are going to be tempted in the same way, tempted to pursue the kingdom of man over the kingdom of God. And when temptation comes, and it will come, we have to be ready to declare with confidence, clarity, and conviction Get out of here with that. Now, why do I say every day we're going to be tempted with that? It seems a bit dramatic to say every day we're going to be tempted to pursue a very different kingdom. Well, I want us to consider the enemy's response to Jesus when Jesus said, get out of here. In Luke's gospel, when Luke is talking about the temptation of Jesus, 
He says this, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So like Jesus, the enemy is constantly looking for opportunities to tempt us towards making our lives, making our every moment, every day moments about the wrong kingdom, about ultimately the kingdom that won't last. So again, let me ask the question, have you made the decision yet? To say, I don't want my life to be, a, be about the wrong kingdom. I don't want my life to be about chasing and pursuing something that doesn't matter and ultimately won't last. Have you made the decision to simply say, first, above anything and everything else, I'm going to pursue the kingdom of God? This is the verse we looked at last week, but Matthew 6, verse 33, this is what Jesus said to seek first above all things. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and He will give you everything that you need. So what I want to do in just the remaining time that we have is share with you how we might be kingdom-minded people every moment of every day, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter who you are with. And what Jesus is going to teach us is this very simple but I think powerful truth, pursuing the kingdom begins in prayer. If you're going to pursue the kingdom first above anything and everything else, it's going to be done, cultivated through a life of prayer. Maybe another way to say that same thing is where there's no prayer, there will be no kingdom pursuit. Where there is prayerlessness in our lives, I can almost guarantee you there will be someone who is not seeking first above everything else the kingdom of God. So in probably what's known as uh, the most well-known prayer in all of Scripture, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is helping His disciples and ultimately He's helping anyone that would choose to follow Him see the connection between kingdom and prayer, that those two need to be married and inseparable together. So this is in Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can open up there with me. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 9. And this is a section where Jesus is teaching about prayer. So he says in verse 9, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, what I love about this prayer is that Jesus is not teaching us necessarily how to pray. He's teaching us what to pray. Jesus, in this moment, is not giving us a formula for prayer. He's helping us to see the priority in prayer. Now, his focus for Jesus, two words at the very beginning. He begins by saying, our Father. So Jesus wants us to see that prayer is more than just about a relationship, but prayer is about relationships. Our Father. It's not just about a relationship, but relationships. I think we're often told that prayer, it's personal and it's private. It's between you and God alone. Now, 
there's elements of truth that there is prayer that is meant to be, intended to be personal and private between you and God. But to say that prayer is just between me and God would be to completely miss our Father. God is not just my Father, He is our Father. So yeah, there's a place for personal prayer, but there must be times where the family of God, the people of God, gather together to be reminded that it's not just me and my personal life with God. See, I think we pray together to be reminded that the family of God, the kingdom of God, is so much bigger than just me and God. So much bigger than just me and God. So don't get me wrong, I have been enjoying praying for the last five days, specifically 21 minutes every day. I've really enjoyed those moments with God. That being said, those who came this past Friday night for our first Friday night of prayer in 2020 and first Friday night of prayer in this 21 days of prayer, to the people that came, I think they would agree in that they caught a, a, a glimpse of the beauty and the power of people coming together to experience prayer, not just as a relationship, but to experience prayer as relationships. Now, how is it possible that so many people who look different, different backgrounds, different stories, different ethnicities, different cultures, how is it possible that so many different people could possibly come together and be of one family, one kingdom together? And I think the thing that Jesus teaches us in this prayer is one word, Father. Our family, our one family, one kingdom happens because Jesus reminds us you and I, we have one Father. And not to be missed, when Jesus t- instructs His followers to address God as Father, He's making clear to you and to me that we are to come to God as kids. You and I are to come to God as children. Now, I'm 47 years old. I am still my father's child. I am still my father's son. No matter how old I am, I will always be my father's child. I will always be my father's son. So regardless of how old you are today, whether you're 17, whether you're 37, 57, or 87, regardless of how old you are, Jesus instructs all of us that you are to come to God as kids that you and I get to come to God as sons or daughters because He is our Father. I want to ask a question. If you can remember a time, looking backwards, recall a time in your story where you came to your dad because you had absolutely no reason to doubt him. You had no reason to doubt his intentions towards you. You had no reason to doubt your dad's love, and your dad's affection for you. Can you remember a time, and maybe this was years ago when you were just a little kid, but do you remember a time where you just came running to your father because you knew that he would embrace you? And you knew that he, as your father, was big enough and strong enough to handle whatever the issue was that was causing concern or fear for you. I think for many here, seeing God as Father is really hard. And maybe not just hard, for some it might even be very painful 
because your earthly father did such a poor job of modeling for you what your heavenly father is like. And what Jesus would want you to know is that God is not neglectful, that God is not ever going to hold back his love from you. What Jesus would want you to know is God as Father is God is not distant from you, and He's certainly not indifferent towards you. God as Father, what Jesus would want us to know is that He's actually faithful. He's caring. He's compassionate. He's loving. He's available. He's powerful. He's present. And as your Father in heaven, He is always desirous to be with you, His child. So I can only ask, please do not allow your experience with your earthly father, if it was a poor one, hinder you from experiencing the joy of coming to God as his kid, as his child, as his son or daughter, regardless of how old you might be. Now, the opening two words, our father, it says so much about God in prayer, but what we can't miss is the next word is the location of where our Father is. Our Father in heaven. I don't know if you've thought about this, but when we pray, our Father in heaven, that should get, give us so much confidence and so much boldness in how we come to God in prayer. If you were to look at both the Old Testament and the New Testament, when you see that reference, God in heaven, what the authors of Scripture are trying to help us see is they're making a statement about God's power and about God's authority. So when you see this phrase, because God is in heaven, what Jesus is saying is He has supreme authority. There is no greater voice. There is no higher court. What Jesus is saying is God in heaven, He is in complete control of all things. He needs permission from absolutely no one. God in heaven means no one can thwart or hinder or get in the way of God's plans and His purpose. Why? Because He's in heaven and His agenda always wins. So when we are addressing God as Father, absolutely remember the relational aspect of prayer, our Father, but we cannot forget our Father is in heaven. So I want you to think about this. If you believed that you had the heart of God and the ear of God, if you truly believed that you had God's heart and you had God's ear, what would you ask for? And you know that God's in heaven, no one more powerful, no one more present, no one as strong no one has more authority than our Father in heaven. If you believe that you had His heart and His ear, what would you ask Him? I mean, would you really ask the most powerful personal being in the entire created creation, hey, would you just bless my day? Would you just be with me today? See, one simple but I think powerful truth that I've learned over the years in my journey of prayer is this. My prayers are the best reflection of what I believe about God. If I really want to know what I truly believe about God, I just have to examine the prayers that I have been praying. If we're convinced that Father God is in heaven, meaning there's no one more personal or more powerful than God, 
then do you know what you and I can begin praying for? God, I want you to reach the unreachable in my life. God, all of the people that are lost, please, I want them to be found. God, the city that I live in, the town that I live in, I am praying, God, to the most personal and powerful God in the world, in the universe, I'm praying that everyone in my city, in my town, would turn to Jesus. God, I'm praying that the company that I work at, the people that I am surrounded by 40, 50, 60 hours a week, God, I'm praying that they would turn to you. God, the school where I study, the school where I teach, the students that I am with, the administrators that I am with, I'm praying that this entire established university, Jesus, I'm praying that they would all turn to Jesus. Father God in heaven, there are so many people in my family who have no idea who you are. So God, I'm praying that you would turn my father's heart, my mother's heart, my brother, my sister. I'm praying that you turn my children's heart, God, towards Jesus. If you knew and if you believed that you had the heart of God and the ear of God, and you believe that God is not just personal but is all-powerful, what would you begin to pray for? What would you ask for? Anyone want to take a guess as to what was on the top of Jesus' list of what he prayed and what we should pray? Kingdom of God. Our Father in heaven, what Jesus was on the top of his list for us to pray was the kingdom of God. Let me read in verse 9 and 10 again. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus says, may your name be kept holy, what Jesus is saying, God, please keep us, the ones who bear your name, the ones who bear your name and your image, would you keep us from doing anything or even saying anything that would dishonor you and your name? When Jesus prays, may your kingdom come, that is to say, God, please, in my life, in my world, would you extend your reign and your rule? So, God, would your kingdom come in and through my life? God, would your kingdom come in and through my family? God, would your kingdom come in and through my church? God, would your kingdom come in the city, in the town where I live? God, would your kingdom come in our world? May the vision and the values of the kingdom of God be felt in our world. May people see the vision and values of King Jesus in my life, through my life. So to pray your kingdom come is to ask God, God, would you please invade every space and place in my life with your kingdom? God, even the spaces and the places that I keep private, even the spaces and places no one knows about because I don't want them to see because I'd be embarrassed. God, would you please invade every space, every place in my life with your kingdom. See, to pray your kingdom come is to say, God, 
I've made the decision. I will not make my one life about pursuing any other kingdom but your kingdom first above all things. And when Jesus says, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, do you know what hinders God's will from being accomplished in heaven? Nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. So to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is to pray, let nothing we do or say hinder your perfect will from being accomplished here and now. And what I love about what Jesus calls us to pray for of your will be done is Jesus is not asking us to do something that He was not willing to do Himself. Jesus is not asking us to pray something and live something that He first and foremost did Himself. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And hours before Jesus would go to the cross, be betrayed, and brutally murdered, Do you want to know what he was praying? I'm thankful the Gospels record in Matthew 26. He went on a little further. He bowed bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. The very thing that Jesus instructs us to pray is something that he showed us in prayer first. Father, if it's possible, because I know you're personal and powerful, if it's possible to take this cup from me, but I want your kingdom to come, and I want your will to be done. So not my will, not my agenda, not my kingdom. God, I want your kingdom to come. And do you know, because Jesus put his Father's will first, do you know who benefited most from that? you and I. Because Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done, not my will, but your will be accomplished. Because he did that, you and I now have entrance and access to the king in his kingdom. Because Jesus did that for us, we get to know God as father. We get to be kids in his kingdom, and we get to walk with the king every moment of every single day. As I've been thinking about, because Jesus did that, how you and I benefit from that in an eternal sense, the question that I've been thinking about this past week is, well, Michael, who might begin to benefit in your life if you would simply declare, God, your will be done today? Like, who might begin to benefit just in my own family, in my neighborhood, in the places where I spend time, in the people I spend time with? Who would begin to benefit if I would just simply begin praying? God, I kind of have an idea of what my will, what I would like to happen, what my agenda would be in this moment, but no, I don't want that. I want your will. Who in my life might begin to see a picture of the king and his kingdom if we would pray what Jesus prayed, your will be done? Again, the question that we are inviting you to ask in this season of prayer, of 21 days of prayer is how shall I invest in the kingdom of God this decade? Not just this season, not even just this year, but just, God, how would you want me to invest who I am and all that I have into your kingdom? If you want to know the best place to start in making an investment in the kingdom of God, 
let it begin in your life of prayer. Jesus modeled a life of prayer that flourished and one who pursued first above anything and everything else the kingdom of God. And his life of prayer and a life of the kingdom were so married together. So if you want to know where to begin of how to make every moment of every day and every space and place in your life, let it begin with prayer.